to that message. I think I, I was sitting in the back uh, last week for part of the service and was just uh, so encouraged by how the congregation receives uh, that instruction and, and seeks to put it into practice. And today we're going to do another small housekeeping matter as uh, before I jump into a, a new sermon series. Uh, you know, to be reformed means that we're always being conformed to the Word of God. And so God has things uh, to speak to our lives continually as He sanctifies us by His truth. And 2, Tim, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is a wonderful um, text to form us in the, in the area of our finances. Let's give our attention uh, to God's Word. I'm going to be reading through verse 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness." As it, is writ- as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Our God in heaven, we thank you that you have a word for us today from the pen of the apostle through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that we would have ready, eager hearts to to hear it and to be molded by this, your truth, for our life today, that we might live for the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Boys and girls, if I I gave each of you $1,000 in cash this morning, uh, what would you do with it? Just uh, think about uh, what you could do with $1,000 in cold, hard cash. Uh, Big boys and girls, you can uh, ask yourself the same question. Uh, What would you do with a gift like that? What's the first thing that springs to mind? Uh, Maybe a a bill that needs to be paid. Maybe maybe you put it away in the vacation fund. Maybe you buy a new computer. Um, uh, How many of you, as, as you ask yourself that question, 
How many of you have a, a need in mind, something that you've been praying for, desiring to give to, and, and as soon as you heard you had $1,000 unexpectedly coming your way, uh, you, you, you rejoiced and thought, uh, I know exactly what I'm going to do with that $1,000. Now, um, I ask that because uh, money matters, and how we think about money matters to the Lord. I, this morning I'm addressing this. It's, it's just a, a matter of how, of growing in the grace of our Lord Jesus together as a congregation. Uh, Paul is not rebuking or admonishing the Corinthians. He's inviting them to experience something that uh, the Macedonian Christians had experienced, and that experience is an experience of grace. Uh, as I was uh, studying th- this week uh, for this sermon, it just struck me again that we don't talk about money as freely, as naturally, and as often as Scripture does. The Bible has so much to say on this topic. And we, of all people in the world, need to hear about it. We, are, we live in a soup of materialism and consumerism, and we are affected by that cultural soup. And the only possible way that we're going to uh, escape being conformed to the likeness of this world when it comes to money and and resources, the only way we can escape is if we are intentionally being transformed by the renewing of our mind according to the Word of God and in the area of finances. Uh, This matters because uh, how we handle our money is one of the most accurate depictions of our spiritual condition. Richard Halverson writes, money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through Scripture, there's an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles money. Randy Elkhorn, in his little book, um, The The Rewards Principle, says the same. There's a powerful relationship between our spiritual condition and our attitudes and actions concerning money and possessions. Uh, One of the... um, uh, one of the things I just want to sort of say up front, we're, I'm, not, I'm not giving this message this morning because we're in dire financial straits as a church, and, um, and so this is a lever to sort of, um, you know, get, get giving back up to, to levels. We're not in dire financial straits by the grace of God. We met budget last year, unexpectedly, and by, uh, by the goodness of God. This is about um, excelling in, in the grace of giving. This is about God increasingly freeing us from our American perspective, our Western materialistic worldview, and leading us into the light and joy and blessing that comes from a true gospel perspective on money and giving. And I think in all, all of Scripture, this is one of the best examples here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, one of the, just a wonderful picture of what Christian giving looks like. The world gives. Uh, there are people who are very, very generous uh, in, in, in the world. There are, there are, you read newspaper articles about people who give millions and, and millions of dollars to various uh, charitable causes or organizations. And that's all great, but that's not Christian giving necessarily. Christian giving is its own thing molded by, framed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins now, he's writing to the church in Corinth, a church that's had some struggles, as if you, if you know first, the letter to, uh, of 1 Corinthians. And he says, I, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to the Macedonian churches. These would be the churches Philippi, Berea, 
And uh, Paul wants to highlight, he wants to hold up a model for them of what Christian giving looks like. Uh, if, if, if you remember, Paul has been uh, going about taking up an offering for the poor, uh, suffering Christians, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. They are in great need, and Paul is going to the Gentile churches to raise up an offering, a benevolent offering, for their sake. Uh, he sees this not just as a necessary aid to meet their need. Paul is excited and committed to this offering because he sees it as a raised banner for the gospel in a dark, dark world. A banner that, that uh, proclaims, broadcasts the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the context of this age-old hatred that existed between Jews and Gentiles, and in light of man's post-fall addiction to himself and to his things, what greater sign of the unity of the church and the power of the gospel than to have Gentile believers sacrificially giving help to Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. The world had never seen anything like it. That's what the gospel does. One of the most evident testimonies to the power of the gospel is when it transforms the way that we think about money. When God's grace goes deep into our life and heart, the evident, one of the evidences will be generosity, a different way of thinking about our possessions. When we become people who are known for our love of giving, our wealth of generosity, people who beg for opportunities to give, uh, then we can know that God is doing a wonderful, deep work of grace in our life. That's the point of this text. There are six things that I'm going to just pull right straight out of the text. I hardly ever have six points to a sermon. Uh, it's hard enough to remember two or three, but you have an outline there, and you can tuck that in your Bible. Uh, but these, these just flow right out of the text, and so we're just going to follow them one after the other. We cannot exhaust them, but I think it's a wonderful um, window, a picture of what Christian giving actually looks like. First, Christian giving is fueled by grace. Paul says, I want you to, to know about the grace of God that has been given to the churches in Macedonia. He speaks of it uh, in verses 6 and 7 about this act of grace. It's fueled by grace. I love how he introduces this. Remember, he's writing to the Corinthian church. And uh, imagine if he'd begun by saying, uh, I want you to know, brothers, about how generous and godly and good uh, those people in Macedonia are. I mean, let me tell you, those people are serious Christians. Not like you schmucks in Corinth. They're really serious. They're really committed. Right? If he had started that way, how motivated do you think the people in Corinth would have been? And we can hear uh, this text sort of in that language. Wow. If you folks were just like the people in Macedonia, what a wonderful world this would be. That is not how Paul begins. That's not the point. You see, he, he begins by saying, I want you to know about the grace of God. 
Why? Because it's motivating, it's encouraging, and it's clarifying. It's motivating, encouraging, and clarifying. Let me just explain. First of all, it's motivating. If you're a Christian, don't you want the grace of God in your life? Isn't the grace of God the most magnificent thing about your life? And when you see the grace of God in the lives of other people, doesn't it make you want that for yourself? So when you see the grace of love and joy and peace and kindness, gentleness, self-control, you see the fruit of God's work in in someone's life in a notable way, don't you want that for yourself? Have, Have you ever just seen a really humble, loving, gentle, godly person and thought, man, I would never want to be like that? Not if you're a Christian. Your heart hungers for that. You can't help it. The spirit within you is is at work to make you like that. And so when when Paul holds up this model of, of Christian giving the grace of God in the Macedonians' lives, well, that motivates the Corinthians to say, well, we want that grace. We want to be like that. Lord, give that grace to us. And that's exactly how we should feel as we come to this text and look at our brothers and sisters in Macedonia. Let's just be honest. There are Christians who are experiencing the grace of God when it comes to money and possessions in greater ways than we are. Can't you say that? I can say that. There are people who are, who are much more uh, happily generous, who, who live with much more uh, a wealth of joy and grace and, and, a, and a generous spirit, who, who truly delight to give themselves, their, their time, their money, their possessions. There are churches that are advanced, they're, they're, that do a, they're just, they're experiencing the grace of God in this area in ways that maybe we're not, who, who have a, an appreciation for what the Scripture says about money and, and how to use our resources and, and how to be generous and bless people and promote the cause of Christ in the world in a way that, that's ahead of us. So Paul just lifts this up here to see, uh, to, so that we can see what the grace of God does in the lives of, of people so that we could be motivated Wouldn't we want to live like that? Secondly, it's encouraging. See, talk about giving can easily be discouraging. Because we we sense that we're not doing as well as we could be or should be. When we look at the Macedonian Christians, it'd be easy to feel guilty. I mean, they're, they're willing to give in that difficult context. They beg for the privilege. They count it a favor. When's the last time you begged to give sacrificially out of your hardship? And so it'd be easy to feel discouraged. Well, um, it's, it's okay to be convicted. I mean, let's just, something's not right. I mean, honestly, do you enjoy giving as much as you enjoy shopping or saving? Does it give you the same thrill? Maybe it does. I think most of us would say it probably doesn't. That's, that's messed up, right? When, when we would rather use our things for our passing pleasures than for the glory of God and the cause of Christ in the world and to bless other people. 
Something's not right. Uh, Tripp, in, um, in his, uh, he has a nice little book out called Redeeming Money. And he points out that our giving problem isn't a budget problem. It's a worship problem. It's a sin problem. We believe, that we believe lies concerning uh, possessions that will bring comfort and security and, and we can trust in these things. We, we, we don't really have a sense of eternity that we're going to die very soon. And, and that Jesus calls us to invest in eternal things. Those are not often functioning truths. We believe them, but they're not functioning. And so we can, we, um, Tripp says, it's a worship problem, it's a sin problem. And, and the problem with the sin problem is we can't just budget it away. We can't uh, just make a rule. The only way that a sin problem changes is when grace changes the heart. That's the only way it changes. And, and the wonder of the gospel is where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's exactly what Jesus Christ does in the lives of his people. He transforms our heart. So that it's encouraging. We actually can experience the grace of God in a deeper, fresher, more joyful way that produces a happy generosity because God can do that work of grace in our heart. We can change. So it's motivating, it's, clear, it's, uh, it's encouraging, and it's clarifying. It shows us what's on the table. Uh, what's on the table uh, here in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's not just pursuing their money. He's pursuing the transforming power of God in their lives. So he, he says in, in um, verse that uh, this is for your, for your good as well. To prove that your love is genuine. To see that you excel in this grace of giving. Um, it's for your benefit, too. Paul's after a work of grace in their life, not just a, a bottom line. And that's exactly the right attitude. See, this isn't just a small vision for a single project. Paul wants, it's a big vision for a whole life, kingdom-oriented perspective on money. And we have to have that same perspective. It, you know, we could, making budget is great. Praise the Lord that we were able to make budget last year. But you can make budget without the transforming power of Christ. Just, just shrink the budget to what, to what's there. Or just um, guilt people into it, um, harass. I don't know. There's, there's a lots of different ways you can make budget. God isn't, God's not that concerned about whether or not we make budget, right? He's not hoping we are able to push through this year. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't have a money problem. The issue, you see, what God is looking to is the heart. Is there a growth in the joy that we have when we take the things that God has given to us because it's all his anyhow and that we're experiencing the grace of God in our life in such a way, we're experiencing the gospel so deeply, remembering that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that we might be eternally rich, we can't lose and that we have a mission in the world to use our time and our resources for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. That's what God's looking for. That's what he's after. That grace to be at work. Paul Tripp in his book, uh, Redeeming Money, he, 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 um, he just takes uh, the Lord's Prayer and says, the Lord's Prayer is for your finances. So if you take everything that you have, everything you ever will have, every dollar you ever touch, every possession you will ever own, you take all that together, and then you, you pray the Lord's Prayer 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the perspective to have when, we, when it comes to money and possessions, that we have a Father in heaven who takes care of us. We trust in him, not our bank account. And we, our purpose in life is to glorify his name. That's why we live. And there's a mission, his kingdom. There's a, there's a harvest to be reaped. There's, there, there are people to reach with the gospel. And so, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that, that should be what is, what's shaping the way we think about our resources. Tripp says, many of us have more money problems than we realize. We think we're okay because we're able to pay the price of our pleasures. We're not in debt. But we're not okay because what shapes our money matters is a spirit of ownership, not a gospel and kingdom orientation. What ought to shape our money matters is grace, the grace of the gospel, the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. That's what we see happening in the churches in Macedonia. And when that happens, what's going to be the evidences? Well, let's go to number two, and we'll move forward. A Christian giving is unfazed by hardship. In a severe test of affliction, the Macedonian churches were being persecuted heavily. A Paul member in Philippi, that's where he was beaten and thrown into prison. Um, he was, uh, his life was threatened in Thessalonica, Berea. Uh, these people are suffering. If any believers right, of, of the church of that day could have had a reason to say, we would love to help, we're just not going to be able to this year, we don't have anything, uh, it would be the, the Macedonian Christians. Isn't it true that we can easily look at our hardships as excuses, reasons not to give? They could have done that. Why didn't they? Well, be, because there was a joy in them. Uh, their abundance of joy has overflowed. So Christian giving is an overflow of joy. Christian giving is an overflow of joy. Joy is hard to repress and restrain. It, it sort of spills out. It's messy. It splashes all over. It's hard to keep contained. You've got this grin on your face. You're singing songs. That's the nature of joy. It flows over. And one of the greatest evidences of the, of the joy of the gospel in our life is, is when it spills over into glad, eager, sacrificial blessing of others and furthering of the cause of Christ. That's what's happening in Macedonia. Out of the abundance of their joy, this overflow of joy, even in their hardship, they delighted to give. This is the church, remember, Paul had given a great gospel promise to, the church in Philippi, and that letter would have been passed around. Philippians 4, verse 19, my God shall, shall, shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You're not going to lack. You're going to have everything you need to live in joy and, and gospel fruitfulness. Well, the, the, the people who received that letter apparently believed it. And out of their joyful confidence in God's provision, all that God promised to give them, they were experiencing the grace of God in a magnificent way. Do you ever, do you ever just wish? Um, and do you ever hunger for sanctification when it comes to your money? That you want to be more Christ-like with your possessions. Uh, because you, you have so many possessions. We do. And, and the need for the gospel cause is so great. 
Do you ever, do you ever wonder on the last day when you stand before the Lord what, how you'll explain your use of money? I think those questions at least should cross our mind. Christian giving forth is unhindered by poverty. It's unhindered by poverty. This joyful giving took place in the context of, of severe poverty. I know some of, uh, some of you are in hard straits, um, barely making ends meet, and you'd love to give, but it's just not in the budget. And that seems unfortunate, but um, nothing really to be done about it. And I, I would su- suggest that this text says two things. If that's you, um, you're looking at it in precisely the wrong way. Poverty and financial hardship is an opportunity, not an obstacle to Christian giving. The fact is that, that God is most pleased in our giving when it is sacrificial and when um, it comes out of poverty or less rather than more. So if you look in the Gospels, when does Jesus, what, what gift in the, in, the, in the Gospel does Jesus most delight in? The Pharisees who are putting in big checks? No, he doesn't rebuke them for it. But what he delights in is the widow who gave her two mites because she gave all that she had. There, here's this complete dependence on the Lord. And don't you think that Jesus has the same exact attitude when it comes to the churches in Macedonia? Don't you think he's rejoicing at the grace, the evidence of grace in their lives as they're participating in this way? And so if, 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 if times are tough, if, if the budget's tight, this is an opportunity for you to bless Jesus in a way that maybe uh, when you are more wealthy, it's going to be more difficult in that sense. That Jesus is going to take more pleasure in your trusting him now than, than, uh, than the pleasure that um, you'll have and maybe, and maybe the glory that you give to him when, when things are going quite well. Just think about it. Giving, as I said, is never a budget problem. It's always a heart problem. And that's for all of us. And so let's, let's pray then for the grace of God that no matter what our financial circumstances, we're entering into the grace, this act of grace. Christian giving is wealthy in generosity, number five. It's wealthy in generosity. Paul says that they're, they're giving uh, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. See, God's not looking for wealth of money. He has all the money. He's looking for wealth of generosity. That's the evidence of his grace. And this, this generosity, notice in the, in the verse here, it's proportional, sacrificial, and eager. They gave according to their means. That's why we don't do quotas here. We just divide up the budget by the number of families. We hand you an envelope with a figure on it and, um, and expect everyone just to participate at that level. That's other churches do. That's not how we do it. We believe that giving should be proportional. That if God has blessed you a great deal, then, then more is required of you than uh, of those whom he's not given as much. Um, but, but it's proportional according to their means, Paul says. He gives instructions in 1 Corinthians 16 as well. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper. Same principle. That Christian giving is, is proportional, it's intentional, it's weekly. Something that I think we can grow in. If, if we're being um, just thoughtful, uh, consistent, prayerful, 
Uh, our giving, I think, from week to week and month to month isn't going to see the wide fluctuations that we have right now, where people are planning intentionally, setting money aside, giving it to the Lord with a grateful heart. It's an area that we can grow. It's sacrificial beyond their means. They sacrificed things. It affected their lifestyle. You see, it, it, does your giving really cost you? Is there, does it impact your lifestyle in some way? Because isn't it true that if it doesn't really cost us anything, if, if it doesn't impact our lifestyle in some way, then whatever our giving does say, it doesn't say much about our trust in our Heavenly Father. It doesn't say much about our delight in our Savior, our focus on eternal things, and our, our hunger for the cause of God in the world. If, if it doesn't really cost us anything, then, then the giving is more likely about us than it is about Him. It ought to cost something. It ought to be things that you don't do. Experiences you can't have. Vehicles you can't buy. Right? Because Jesus matters that much. It's, it's, it's not a rule. This is not a, this is not a heavy, oh man, seriously? This is, the, this is Jesus at work in our lives giving us a true gospel perspective about our resources. That's, that's what this text is about. And it's to be eager of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. When's the last time you could not wait to get to church because you just wanted to give Jesus your gift? That you begged, right, when something came by and maybe, uh, maybe the, the, the uh, you know, there was, a, there was a cause, some need, and, and, uh, and you heard that was going on, but they didn't come and ask you. And so you called someone up, you called the deacons up, and you said, hey, how come you haven't talked to me? I, could I please give to this? You know, that, that's the spirit. It was their earnest desire. It wasn't a duty to be performed. It was a favor that they begged to be able to participate in. Now, I, I just look at that and I go, that, that is otherworldly. Who lives like that? Out of extreme poverty and severe affliction, who's, who begs to take the little they have and give it away for people they don't even know in Jerusalem who used to hate their guts? Who does that? Christians do that. Christians do that. And that comes from, verse 5, a life devoted to God. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That's the nub of the matter. And that's why, you see, our spending and giving is so revealing. It tells what and whom we're living for. The secret to the Macedonian miracle is that they gave themselves to God as they remembered God's gift to them in Jesus Christ. Uh, this was their glad response to the grace of God. And so they gave themselves to God's care, to God's purposes, to his promises, to his mission. It was his, all of it. They're applying Paul's words in chapter 5, verse 14 of, this, of, of 2 Corinthians. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
We live for him who died for us and was raised for our everlasting life. And that's where this begins. Responding to the grace of God by giving ourselves to God. And that means our money and our time, our poverty, our wealth, whatever it is, our security, our comfort, we give it to the Lord for his glory. And that doesn't mean we can't buy things and provide for ourselves. Of course we can. To the glory of God, we can. To the praise of God, we can. And then when it comes to giving, our, our giving should be then defined, you see, by, by the things that we've just talked about. And the offering that we take should be just this visible, tangible movement of a life devoted to God. I, um, um, one of the books, I can't remember which one it was, but he was just saying that the, the offering should be the most uh, eagerly anticipated part of the worship service. <laughs> I don't know, I think it all ought to be eagerly anticipated. But the offering's not a, it's not an intermission. It's an act of worship, isn't it? Where we actually take the, the material resources God has given to us and we put it uh, in, in the basket as it goes by and we're, we're giving it back to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Jesus cares about how we, how we give that gift. The amount that's between you and the Lord. You say, that's just what's going on in your heart. He cares about how we give. Jesus wants us to experience the grace of God when it comes to our resources, when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to giving. I think that, that could not possibly be more clear than, than it is here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So what do we do as we wrap up? Well, let's remember it's about grace. It's about, it's about us responding to the gospel and living in the, the care of our God and, 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 and being about his mission in the world. I would encourage you to prayerfully just look at your life and how you think about resources and how you think about giving. This is a wonderful mirror to hold up in front of our eyes. It's a model to emulate. I encourage you to train yourself for godliness in this area. When's the last time you read a really good article or book on a Christian view of finances. I encourage you, uh, Randy Elkhorn has two that are worth reading, The Treasure Principle and then Money, The Law of Rewards, I'm sorry, and then Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Great title, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Uh, Paul Tripp's new book, Redeeming Money, is also very good, and there might be others. Train yourself in godliness. And then make a plan. How are you going to grow in the grace of giving this year? You and your family, how will you evidence the grace of God in your life when it comes to your possessions? Friends, let's grow. Let's excel. As Paul says, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness, see that you excel in this act of grace also. May God grant that to us. Amen. Well, God our Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have, you bought us body, soul, life, and death, and everything that we are and own. And I thank you, Lord, you provide for us so, so well, so much, Lord. We're, we are the, the wealthiest Christians in the world. And so we have a particular stewardship laid on us. And Lord, I pray that this, this truth would not sound like law to us, it, but it would sound like an invitation to something better than consuming and spending and hoarding. An invitation to 
experience your grace, an, experience, an invitation to, to live in that grace, to use our resources in a way that is profoundly honoring to you and shows that the gospel has gone deep into our life and that you're able to free us from our fear and, and our addiction to comfort and pleasures. And that, Lord, as we give, we find that we are not lacking in anything. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would rejoice as we give our time, our resources, that it would truly be an act of worship as we remember that you gave your son, Jesus Christ, for us, not for a moment, but for eternity. And that Jesus himself invites us now to trust him and to participate in, in his cause in the world and to enjoy the grace of knowing we, we are in danger of nothing and heirs of everything. And so, Lord, bless us as we give. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two offerings this morning to be received as uh, you give to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, give with gladness. Give with prayer. Uh, as we give to the general fund, the uh, operating budget of Harvest, and, and a lot of that money is going out um, to missions particularly.